Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We've got Josh going to be preaching for us today, which we're excited about. And we are still in chapter one of Mark. How did that happen? Um, we're going to move on to chapter two today, though. So open your Bibles, page 836, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide. We're going to start in Mark chapter one, verse 40, and we're going to read through chapter two, verse 12. Go ahead and open those. And as we read, remember, we are reading God's word. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, like you said, my name is Josh. I lead students here. So Wednesday night we do our student deal. That's what I normally do. And occasionally I get to preach up here, and I love preaching. I love teaching the Bible. One interesting thing about this passage, this is probably the most extensive piece of just looking at Jesus that I've ever had the chance to preach. So I'm very excited to just stop on a Sunday and take a look at Jesus with you guys, and hopefully you leave refreshed, maybe brand new creations as you leave here, and you take a look at Jesus for the first time, maybe. So um, we've been going through the book of Mark, and Mark's a very interesting book. It's kind of written, it's written to the Romans, and it's kind of the American gospel because it's real quick and real practical and gets to the point. It's not real lofty. Mark just tells you what happens. Immediately this happened, and then he moves on to the next thing. It's, it's very much fit for our culture. Give me the point. Let's just just boil it all down. Give me the essentials. And Mark has been giving us the essentials of Jesus' early life so far. And now we get to this thing where we're going to see Jesus interact with three different sets of people. 
Now, why is this important? As I've been thinking through this, you know, I thought, how do you get a clear picture of someone? Imagine your dad and your daughter comes and says, I've got this boy, he's amazing. And she says, here's his resume. As a father, are you okay just seeing a boy's resume to give the okay to give your daughter away? Absolutely not, unless you're an idiot. Because everyone looks good on a resume. My resume is phenomenal. All of you would hire me to teach or to preach or to do anything based off my resume because I get to highlight what I want to highlight. So employee, employers know this, so they also throw in recommendations and referrals. And there's another way to get to know someone is you call people who have interacted with them. But that's also skewed because you get to pick those three people or four people. So I pick my neighbor right here who likes me. I avoid this neighbor right here who doesn't like me. I pick this principal, this school I used to work for, who thinks I'm the greatest thing on earth. I avoid the four other principals who thought I was horrible. Jesus now is basically going to show us some of his people he's interacted with. In essence, we're going to look at some recommendations as we look at Jesus' life, not through his resume, not through who he says he is, not through all this, but through his just daily interactions with people, and specifically people who are on the fringe, who are dirty or unclean, or people who none of us would choose to interact with. People who none of us would say, this is the neighborhood I want to live in, filled with these types of people. We get to see Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and how he interacts with people. I hope you're blessed. We're going to look at three stories. Each one kind of takes a nuanced look at a different aspect of Jesus. The first type of person we're going to look at is the unclean. If you've been a Christian for any extent of time, you know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is long. It takes up about that much of your Bible, New Testament this much. It is full of stuff that makes very little sense to most people. And it talks about clean and unclean a lot. And essentially the Jewish religion was God's way of separating people for himself. And he said these things are clean. And he talked about food and types of people and places you could go and couldn't go. And this stuff is unclean. And we're going to look at the epitome of unclean in the Jewish faith. And how does Jesus respond to the unclean? The epitome of the gross disgusting. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're kind of piecing together who God is, I hope you pay attention to this. Because how God responds to the dirtiness in this world is going to say a lot to whether you want to follow him or not. The next type of person we're going to look at is the believers. How does Jesus respond to the believers? The Bible uses the word belief, faith, and trust basically the same way. Those who come to Jesus with faith or trust in him, how does Jesus respond to them? And then finally, Jesus gets hard-nosed with these people. How does Jesus respond to the religious? And I don't mean religious in a generic sense. I mean it in a wrong sense, using religion incorrectly. So this is going to be three different stories. Normally we have a nice short passage that we got one big idea. Same thing here. We just want to look at Jesus. We just want to be blessed by Jesus. We want to be changed by Jesus. How do you do that? You spend some time with him. So we're going to spend some time looking at these three stories together. The first one is what Matthew just read. Let's go there again. Mark 1, 40. And I won't read much. And a leper. I'll stop. 
So the first interaction is with a leper. What is a leper? Someone with leprosy. What's weird about leprosy, it's a real disease and illness. I've only heard about it in church. So I didn't grow up going to church much. My dad started bringing me toward the end of my teen years. And that's kind of when I first started to hear about this leprosy thing. But it is a real thing. And it's horrible. It is no joke. It still exists mainly kind of in tropical climates. There's some cures now. But it was a real thing. A serious thing. And just before we get into the Bible's view of it, I want to just medically look at it. I'm going to read kind of just a description of what leprosy is. So this disease, which we today call leprosy, generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. So you start to get pain. Numbness now follows. Soon the skin in such spots lose its original color. So now you get these weird patchy things. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begin to bunch with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. So you picture a spotted up, rashed up person whose face is basically shrinking in on itself. Fingers begin to drop off or absorb. Toes are affected similarly. It begins to affect the throat. The throat becomes so hoarse you can hardly understand them. And now you can't see, feel, or smell and you just see his rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor from this person. So that's a leper. The Bible uses it as a reality. Leprosy really happened. And it also paints the picture of this is kind of how sin is. Meaning, on the outside it is ugly. So as God looks at our sin, it's grotesque and ugly. And you don't spend any time looking at it. You look away immediately. And yet here's what's crazy about leprosy. On the inside, your nervous system is basically shutting down. So you don't really feel it. You don't sense that you're just ugly as can be. That is sin. As God looks down on us, he sees filth and ugly and grotesque. And yet on the inside, we don't even feel it. It's no big deal. So it has this huge spiritual stigma of basically people seeing it as a representation of sin. And then also just physical and common sense. Why would you ever be in the same room with somebody who looked like that, smelled like that, talked like that? Ugh. To make matters worse, here's how the Jewish nation, through God's instructing, told them to deal with leprosy. Because it was very, very contagious. So the book of Leviticus is the Jewish rules written to the Jewish people. Here's their rules on leprosy. And how the community should deal with it. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's this guy's existence. So as we start to see this story, and the first thing mentioned is a leper, this is what's going on. A guy who just looks tatted and worn, unclean, unclean, anytime he comes into an area where there's other people. 
unclean, and his voice getting more hoarse, unclean. How does Jesus respond? Let's pick it up. We've read three words. Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. What does Jesus say? Something far different than any of us would say. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. This is amazing. I just spent the last weekend in San Diego. What's this have to do with leprosy? You'll see. San Diego, beautiful. It has a huge homeless population. Everywhere. I'm a Christian. I am a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm going to preach on this very text seven days from this moment. Yet I walk through Ocean Beach and not once does my mind or heart feel moved to go touch a homeless person. Not once. Now you may be better than me and you may go do it, but you have your group of people who you, ah, I would never. And that's how this leper is seen amongst all the people around. He hasn't been touched in years. He comes to this guy, Jesus. He says, fix me. And Jesus touches him. Now, here's what I missed as, as I was studying for this early on. I jumped straight to the fact that in the next verse, Jesus is going to cure him of his leprosy. Amazing, right? Here's, here's, here's the subtle thing that gets missed. When was the last time this leper was touched by a human? Anyone who touches a leper is considered unclean. The priest can't touch him. His family can't touch him. He lives outside the camp. He looks tattered and worn. He wanders around, and whenever people are around, he's got to remind them, unclean, even though his face is showing them that he is unclean. He hasn't been touched. We guys like touch. You do the five love languages. Mine is physical touch, food, neck and neck, shooting for number one. My wife wants to love me, give me a bowl of Lucky Charms and scratch the back of my neck, and I am in heaven. There's days. You wake up, you go to work, I come home, we grind it out with the kids, we don't really look at each other, kiss each other, because we're just in the throes of raising three little boys. We get them in bed, we sit on the couch, it's like 9.30, and my wife puts her hand on my back and scratches it, oh... Now we say, touch, human touch. When's the last time this guy had that? And if Jesus is God, you'd expect God to be compassionate, and he's exactly that. He goes for what the man needs, touch, and he touches him. And the guy's like, oh. Let's keep reading. This Jesus is worth listening to. Verse 42. This man's just been touched, just been hugged, just been embraced for the first time in however many years. Verse 42. And also, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. What? 
Seems weird. Jesus just performed something far greater than anyone in this room will ever do. We can all agree on that. No one in this room will ever touch someone and they're completely cured of this disease that was going to end their life. It's never going to happen. If I ever did it, you would see me all over Instagram, all over Facebook, all over Twitter, and you would know. Guess what I just did? I just cured this man. Jesus does the opposite. He says, you be quiet. You march your way back to the temple. You go through the Jewish ritual with the Jewish priests, and you tell them what just happened. What's Jesus doing with this? Jesus is a Jew. Everyone agrees on that. Jesus came into the Jewish system, which was led by priests. Jesus is bringing a new sort of religion, the new covenant. We're going to do things differently. He just touched a leopard and cured him, and he wants that leopard to go tell the priest that the new priest is in town. It's time to put in your resignation letter. Because if you keep reading in Leviticus, they give a whole section about how the priests are supposed to deal with leprosy. And not once does it say, touch them, and they'll be healed. It essentially goes like this. If a man has leprosy, you go to the temple, and the priest basically kind of keeps his distance, looks at you, and says, yeah, you look like you have leprosy. Go and pray about it, and do some stuff, and then come back. And they come back, and maybe it's starting to cure, and it's going away. Go back. He comes back, and it's all gone. He's cured. Not, who knows how he got cured? And then the priest's job is still not to touch him, to look at him and say, yeah, it looks like you're cured. But you go away for eight more days and then come back. And then on the eighth day, after this guy's been cleansed for eight days, totally cured, totally free of the disease, then they do this little ritual, you, you can read it if you want, involves birds and blood, and takes some blood, and he just kind of touches the earlobe. Says, okay, now, you're, now, now you can go. You, you have my blessing. Aside from the weird bird stuff, which we would never do, and if our doctor tried that, we'd be gone in a second. <laughs> the point is, the earthly priests were finite, they were all going to die. They were sinful. They all sinned, and they all had to sacrifice for their own sin as well as the sin of the people. They were messed up. They were corrupt. And they were dirtied by the world just as easily as any human in this world. And there is a guy who comes on the scene and touches, and leprosy never gets on him. And yet this leper is completely clean. And Jesus says, this is the new reality. You take your butt back to the temple and you tell them what just happened. There's a new priest in town. And he touches. And oh, by the way, he's God. And oh, by the way, you think you're dirty? He'll touch you. How dirty can you be to not be touched by Jesus? There is no limit. He will touch you in your dirtiness and he will make you clean. That's amazing. Amen. That is amazing. This is the Jesus we serve and we worship and we come to read about. Now, this guy says nothing about what he did with his faith, if he became a Christian or not. Jesus told him one thing. Go do this. And here's what he does. Let's go. Verse 45. He responds much like a lot of Christians. He took Jesus' command as a suggestion. Verse 45. He went out and began to talk freely about it, spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly, openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. 
Jesus said, go do this. I want the priest to know who's in town. The guy doesn't listen, goes, spreads the news, and now Jesus has people just bombarding him all the time. And this is where we come to our next story. Where we're going to see a new set of people. So go to chapter 2 there. Matthew, we are now in chapter 2. Congratulations of Mark. Chapter 2, I just want to read this story and I want to pull out the type of people that Jesus, God highlights in this. Chapter 2, verse 1, let's read. So this is after Jesus becomes even more famous than he already is. Stuff's getting crazy. People keep trying to see him. Verse 1, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So he's sitting in the house. People are coming in from every window, every door, every possible way. People are creeping into this house to listen to him preach. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And they had made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's a specific type of person now that gets highlighted in this story. We just looked at the unclean. No matter how unclean society or religion says you are, Jesus will touch you. Now we're looking at this set of people that are doing this crazy thing with this paralytic guy. What do we see from this? Here's what Jesus does to those with faith. He restores them. You bring your faith to Jesus, what will he do? He will restore you. Where do I see that? Right away. What's Jesus' first thing? Son, your sins are forgiven. What's weird about that is that's not what the guy was asking for. Or his friends. They come knowing that Jesus is special and there's something unique. And he just might be God because he keeps claiming to be. And here's what's very interesting about that story. As I've read it a ton of times now preparing for this. You look at them, and you could describe them in a lot of different ways. These guys are diligent. These guys are smart. These guys are hardworking. These guys are loyal to their friend. These guys are... And Jesus sees the scene played out. They come here. They bust a hole in his roof or his buddy's roof, whoever house he's at. And Jesus looks at the situation and says one thing. They have faith. Add up all the parts and pieces of this story, and you can sum it up with one thing, faith. These men had faith. Just a, just a side question. As you look at your life, and people look at your life, and your current situation, and they start to add up. Okay, your job choice, and your choice in neighborhood, and how you're raising your kids, and how you interact with your spouse, and how you serve a church, and how you go about your business in your neighborhood, and they add it all up. They look out, and they take a panorama of your life, and they say, what's the one word they say to describe? What's the, the motivation behind it all? What's the, the essence that we can boil your whole life down to? Comfort. I look at that guy's life, how he lines everything up, how he goes about making a schedule. He wants comfort. Add it all up, boil it down. That man wants image. He wants people to look at him. Add it all up. That woman, she is driven by fear. 
this crazy story that just played out. A paralytic come to a house, they climb up on the ladder, bust through the roof, drop down, and Jesus sums it all up with this word, faith. Faith. And how does Jesus respond to those who have faith? Those who trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Verse 5 says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He had broken vertebrae somewhere in his back. He wasn't able to walk. He had big issues in life. He probably had bed sores. He probably didn't have many friends. I'm sure he didn't have a job. I'm sure he wasn't looked at well in the community. List out all this guy's needs, and forgiveness of sins doesn't seem like a big need. But this is really for the non-Christians in the room who are checking this thing out. What's your biggest need right now? List them out in your head. What's your number one need in life right now? Man, I really need a better job. Man, my wife's illness, I really wish that was cured. And my kid is a huge pain in the... My ex-wife is a huge pain in the... My neighbor's a huge pain in... Most of our needs would be people we want removed. Here's what Jesus just gives us a picture into. There is a list of perceived needs that we all have. I get it. I've got them. And there is a list of actual, real needs. Like how long does that number one need matter 10 years from now? 20 years from now? 100 years from now? Especially you young people. Your list of needs. How many of those needs matter when you look down time? And Jesus comes, God, and says, I know your real needs. Your number one need is your sins are still upon you. And I see that you have come to me because you know that I have the answers to life. Number one need I will take care of. Your sins are forgiven. I've been talking to a lot of people that are fairly new to our church. And we're getting lots of people kind of from different religious backgrounds. We're getting... People who grew up Catholic, Lutheran, Mormon. I talked to a lot of them, and most of them have like an idea of this almighty God. But not all of them have the reality and the assurance that before this almighty God, they stand perfectly forgiven. Because they've never experienced this. They've never brought their faith to Jesus, knowing that he is who he says he is. And the first step in a relationship with Jesus is this step right here. Come to him. And the first step he needs from you is repentance because your sin is the problem. Jesus brings a whole new reality to this man. He's still paralyzed at this moment. But his eternity is sealed. He is now a friend with God. All the condemnation from all the sin he's ever experienced himself or against him is gone. He is forgiven. There's a kid in the last service who was part of the student ministry. He got saved probably a year ago. He's just this smiley kid, just loves life. And after he got saved, I saw him in the lobby one time. He's like, Josh, you know that feeling when you're forgiven? Smile as big as can be. It's amazing. He said, yes, welcome. 
You know that feeling when you've been forgiven? Some of you don't. You walk around with the guilt and shame of sin. Maybe you've been playing the religious card. Your number one need, your sins need to be forgiven. What do you need to bring to Jesus to take care of this? Faith. That's it. Now, just to show you that Jesus isn't just some spiritual focused man in the physical, oh, don't worry about your legs. Who cares if you can't walk? I'll see you in eternity. We'll run a lap together. Jump down to verse 11. Jesus says this, because he is a good, loving, gracious God. Verse 11 says, I say to you, son, pick up your bed and go home. Joe, pick up your bed and get out of here. Joe picks up his bed, shakes off the dust from his legs. He hasn't walked in forever, and he walks home, forgiven and restored physically. Is there a man like this that you've met? I haven't met him except for in Scripture. His name is Jesus. This is amazing. Absolutely amazing. The story isn't all good, though. Because here's what's playing out right now. This house is packed. Say it's this center section here. And Alex here is paralytic. And I just said, Alex, pick up your stuff and get out of here. And Alex walks out. And everybody turns and watches Alex walk out. What the? Everyone's like thinking stuff in their heart and their mind. Like, what just happened? That, was, that guy's never been up a day in his life. And all these rumblings in people's heart are going on. Was it, like I said, I was in San Diego, laying on the beach, living the good life, trying to sleep and get a tan. And as I'm laying there with my eyes closed, I keep hearing these conversations. And like everyone who's within 15 feet of me, I can like hear their conversation. Clearest day. So this mom's talking about the awkward marriage her other daughter's in. This teenager's talking about that stupid boy at the party. I'm just hearing all these stories. And the, pop, the thought popped into my mind, this is kind of how God's life is. He hears it all. Every thought in this room right now, he's listening to. He knows it. And it's in his ears, and he can take note of it. And he hears all the conversations going on, and he calls out one conversation to address. So people may have been saying lots of things, and the one thing he calls out is those religious people we're trying to scoff at what just happened. So finally, Jesus is a loving, gracious God, but he has stuff that he will rebuke, and it is religion. To the religious people in the room right now, he rebukes. Let's see how he does it in this passage right here. Go to verse 6 of chapter 2. Jesus just forgave this guy's sins. Done deal. Verse 6, now the heart conversations pop up, and here's what Jesus says about him. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming, which means he's talking incorrectly about God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, Joe, go home. My translation. 
What's interesting is that's the only thing that Jesus brings to the surface to address. So with the unclean, Jesus wants to show you that there is no boundary, human sin boundary anymore that he won't cross to go touch. And with the paralytic, he wants you to see that the only thing that ever gets you access to him is faith. And you bring as silly, tiny amount of faith as you can to him that you really believe he is who he says he is. And he will respond to you and he will restore you. Your sins are forgiven. And in light of these two stories going on, the one thing he wants to get certain about and squash right away is a religious view. What do I mean by religion? Here's my definition. This isn't Webster's, but religious is living by a wrong view of God. Now, to a certain degree, we're all there. I get to teach the Bible. I still have things that I'm clarifying and getting together on. But fundamentally, your view of God is wrong. For the scribes, it was this. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Notice what they said. Forgiveness of sins, we agree with. People need to be forgiven of their sins. People have sin. They need to be forgiven. But this guy can't be God. And Jesus pounces on him. Says, oh yeah, look, which, which is harder? Cover every sin this man's ever committed and seal his eternity forever? Or putting this vertebrae back together with this vertebrae? Which one do you want me to do? Boom, both. Now shut up, religious people. Jesus doesn't play games with his identity. Ever. What's the religious view of the day that we all live in? Now there's a lot of sort of thoughts that may come into it. But here's essentially what it is. You can lift Jesus up all you want as long as he is on the same level with everyone else. No one really tears down Jesus all that much unless they're really angry atheists, which I don't hang out with a ton of those. But everyone thinks Jesus is a good dude. He was a good man. And they lift him up, the same as Gandhi and Oprah and Ellen and my good neighbor next door who mows my lawn for me. And they're all on the same level. Book of Eli came out like 10 years ago, Denzel Washington. Every movie of his is great. This one is good. It's essentially about the end of the world. If you guys haven't seen it, you should. Basically, humans try to destroy each other, and we live in this post-apocalyptic world, and they're trying to restore order. How do we get order back? And the answer is we need good thoughts and good moral teachers and good philosophers at the core of what we believe. So Denzel Washington has the Bible. His role in this is to take the Bible and restore it back to where it belongs. And as Denzel Washington does, he does it, and he kills everyone who gets in his way. And he marches to California, the center of all truth and goodness in this world. <laughs> and at Alcatraz, the prison is where they store all the thoughts that are going to govern the, this new humanity. He takes the book, the Bible, the Word of God, the only Word of God, and he places it on a shelf next to the Koran. And next to the Book of Mormon. And next to Socrates. And next to Plato. They're all the same. 
That is the view of our day. Higley High School is right down the street. You might, be, you might drive by on Pecos. I think three to four kids have passed away there in this last month. Different things. So they bring in a panel to talk about mourning and grieving. They bring in the religious community. And my buddy who's a youth pastor out in Queen Creek was invited. And the instructions are, talk about grieving and pain and all that. But don't lift your thing up higher than the rest. You Jesus guy, keep Jesus down at the same level as everyone else. Jesus never gives us the right or the inclination or the thought that he wants to be lifted down. Every confrontation in the Bible where God's glory is confronted, he kicks butt. My son is named Elijah after one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. There's all these prophets who say, my God's the way. And Elijah's like, no, my God's ways. All right, let's battle. They build this thing. Like, let's see whose God can light this thing on fire. And they build this huge fire pit and throw a cow on it. Great story. First Kings 17. <laughs> They're going to say, who, whose God shows up? And these other religions dance around and do their thing. And they're like, come on, come on, light on fire. And Elijah's in the corner. Where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom? Ha <laughs> ha. And Elijah comes in and then douses with more water and just makes this thing completely impossible to start on fire. He says, God, show up. Boom! I'm kind of joking, but dead serious. Jesus does not want to be put on the same level with anybody. That's why he forgave this guy's sins to say, you have sinned against me your entire life, but I forgive you. And you over there questioning in your heart that I just forgave his sins, boom, get up and walk out. Nobody like me. Nobody. Before we get all scared, remember how this story starts. <laughs> A leopard comes in who's never been touched, and Jesus touches. But when he needs to bring down fire, he will. Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one you have sinned against your whole life, and you have yet to repent. Your sins are still on your head. And Jesus alone will forgive you and restore you and bring you back into a relationship with him. What do we take from these stories? I kind of just pulled something from each. From the leper, here's what I'd tell you. Come close to Jesus for touch. There is no sin, no filthiness, no thought, no baggage in your life that Jesus goes, ah, I can't touch that. He will touch anyone who comes into him and begs him to make me clean. Nothing. There is no boundary between God and man. Jesus will cross any boundary. What do we learn from the faith people bringing their paralytic buddy? Simple. Leave everything behind but your faith. Jesus did not look at them and say, look at their diligence. Look at their wise planning in getting here. Look at how amazing they are in this team effort faith. You come to Jesus with your faith. That's it, and he will respond. You come trying to bring some stuff that's going to impress him. We saw what happened to the religious guys. He wants your faith. Trust in him. That's it. Lastly, this is for the people who might not, not, might not yet know Jesus. Do you really want to get to know God? 
Some of you, the answer is absolutely yes. You don't have a relationship with him, but you want it. Jesus. That's it. Keep reading Mark. When you're done, flip over to Matthew. Read Matthew. You're done, flip over to John. Read John. And look at Jesus. Just look at him. He's amazing. There's no other place in the world where people get up Sunday after Sunday to keep talking about the same person and this many people keep showing up. Because none of us have anything that great about our lives. Jesus does. And he touches the sick and dirty. And he welcomes those with faith. He says, oh, by the way, I'm God. This is how God acts with his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for writing down Jesus' life so that we could see what a relationship with you really looks like. And those of us that are unclean or dirty or guilt-ridden or shame, God, you touch us. We don't have to go clean up and then get in your presence. You touch us and you make us clean. And for those in the room with a vague concept of God, still putting all the pieces together, God, I pray that they would see that their faith should lead towards one person, Jesus and towards one huge need, forgiveness of their sins. And that you would restore their souls today and you would forgive them. And God, we're all a little religious. We all have makeshift ways of thinking of you that are wrong. I pray that you would cleanse us of those. God, we want a pure look at you. Thank you that Jesus gives us that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.